Today's reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps this covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled and have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we've rebelled against him, we've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like, like that has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet, we've not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we've not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we've sinned, we've done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. 
while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you in sight. Sorry, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Well, yeah, good morning again. And if you don't know me, my name is Niels. I'm also on the staff here. And we're going through the series in Daniel. But uh, as you heard, I'm sure we need to pray for God's help. So let's pray. The angel said to me, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. Pray that you would now, by your spirit, give us insight and understanding as you speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Now, what are we going to talk about? I think if you see the news, the question we often have is, why is the world in such a mess? Isn't it? The world isn't a mess. Wars, poverty, injustice, disasters, crime. We know it's wrong. That's why we think it's news. It shouldn't be there. Otherwise, they would report on the good things. But the world is a mess. And how can we change it? That's what all the politicians who are handing out things to you at the station, they they say, I can change it. I have the solution. What is the solution? And I guess for the solution, what is the problem? You need to know the problem before you can get the right solution. Is the problem poverty? Do we just need more money? Do people just need to get richer? And that will make life better. Uh, Is it education? 
people are just ignorant and if they would just know more it would be better. I guess here in Hong Kong there's a big focus on education. Our four-year-old started nursery, she's got homework, quite a new thing for someone from the UK. Um, of course education here is linked to money. Uh, you, uh, you get better educated, you get a better job, you have more money. But in many ways we think if people just were more educated, life would be better. We want the world to change. And often that is, we want our world to change, isn't it? It's not just the big things out there. But maybe you have trouble in your marriage, your work is hard, there's other things, and how can I change it? What is the problem? How can I make it better? That's what we want. We, we like to make things better. Well, today will be helpful, whether you're a Christian or not, because God kindly tells us, what is the problem? What is the solution? What's wrong with the world? It will be a challenge for each one of us, but uh, yeah, it's in God's word. Now, we're going through Daniel. As I said, Daniel is about living in exile. What is the exile? It's when, when you're not at home, when you're away. What happens? Uh, God's people of Israel, uh, they lived in the land of Israel, and things were good. It's God's land with God's temple and God's people. But because of their sin, their rebellion against God, they had to go away to Babylon. And they were captives in a foreign, hostile land. And life was hard. Hard because it was a strange place, it was a hostile place. How would they live there? How would they survive? What could they expect? That's why God, well, gives us this book. And that's useful for each one of us. Now, today's passage, uh, it's not that long. Next week will be very long. It's uh, chapters 10 to 12. It's one big vision. We're not going to read it all, so do read it beforehand. But even though it's not very, uh, not very long, I'm sure you found it a, a weird passage, isn't it? Especially the, the last few verses. It's one of the most obscure passages in the Bible, I think. Um, Lots of different interpretations. Do ask me questions if I don't answer your questions. Maybe you're here as a visitor and you think, this is, this is complex stuff. I heard some comments last week that people, yeah, they found it. There's some easy and nice stuff in the Bible. There's also difficult stuff in the Bible. But we're committed to all of God's words, right? We're, it's all God's word. We need to look at all of it. So we sometimes have difficult books. So... Uh, I, I trust we will hear good stuff later on. But the first part, thankfully, is quite straightforward. Daniel's prayer. Uh, he prayed a lot. He prayed three times a day, every day. That makes you wonder, why is this one recorded for us? What is so important about this one prayer that we, we get it here? Well, his prayer is important because it is about the end of the exile. The end of the exile, that is what he's praying for. Because, uh, as you maybe heard in verse 1, this is a very significant time, a significant moment in history, hence the calendar on your bulletins. What happens? Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, 
a Mede by descent who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. Now, the, the Medes are not Babylonians. So, uh, so another country r- started ruling over Babylon. Babylon had fallen. Had their oppressor, uh, the country that had taken them captive, was no more. Uh, that's a big moment. But then he reads his Bible in Jeremiah. And what does he read? Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And the exile would be 70 years. And that's now over. The famous passage in Jeremiah Uh, This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, Later on, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And when Babylon is gone and the 70 years are over, you can go back. That's what God promised. And that that is what these verses are about. We know verse 11. We always write it on cards. eh? I, I know I have good plans for you. Of course, that plan comes after 70 years of punishment. We usually don't mention that. Uh, But they would go back. Babylon has fallen, the 70 years are up. And so Daniel, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He prays. Now what does he pray? He confesses their sin. Sin is what I'm going to talk a lot about today. Sin is our rebellion against God, the and, and, and not just the things we do, but this, this state of us, eh, where we are rebellious, how naturally I turn away from God and make myself the center of my life. And sin. And that is what he keeps talking about. Verse 5. And we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Most of his prayer is just saying how sinful they have been and how God was right to judge them. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Uh, you, you, you punished us for our sin. But now, uh, please end it. Uh, verse 16. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Uh, in verse 17. Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. L- look at this empty city. Your city, it's empty. Uh, we are here in, in exile do something, right? Uh, verse 19, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your, sa- for your sake, my God, do not delay. 
And it's now time to go home. So he prays, yeah, we've sinned, you've punished us, but please turn away your anger. Please restore your city, restore your people. It's a big moment. He prays the exile would end. That forgive us and bring us home. That is what he wants. Praying they can go home. That's what we want, right? It's what they wanted. They wanted to get out of Babylon, out of this hostile, difficult country. Similar to how we want to make life better, isn't it? Now, before we look at the answer, I just want to stop and think, wow, what a great prayer. And the prayer is not here to teach us about prayer, and yet I think we should let our prayers be shaped by what the Bible is like. So just as an aside, before we go on, here's a few lessons on prayer that I just think really challenge me. I mean, look at Daniel's, how intense his prayer is, isn't it? Verse 3. Uh, I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, even though we read it in three minutes, this was a lot of praying, right? It's very easy to fast during three minutes. I do it all the time. <laughs> but, uh, with fasting and, and sackcloth and ashes, uh, he really gives things up for, to pray. Now, so some of us are very good at that. Others of us, we squeeze prayer in. Uh, it's, it's, it's so easy. We can pray all the time. I can pray when I walk to the MTR. I can pray when I wait for the lift. But do I make time to pray? Do I put other things aside and think, I need to pray, and so I'm going to give up other things so I can pray? It's a challenge. Um, he bases his prayer on God's promises. Uh, his, his prayer comes out of his Bible reading. So often... Uh, I read the Bible and God speaks to me about my sin and then I pray about the children's health. There's no connection. I mean, that's not a conversation between people, right? God speaks to us and we talk about something else. Now, if God promises something, then we can pray for it. That's what he does. God promises you can go home after 70 years, so he prays. And it means God will answer, right? Sometimes we wonder... Does God really, will, will he answer my prayer for, I don't know, a new car? <laughs> no idea. Actually, if God has promised it, if he promises us wisdom, we can pray for it. If he promises that his word will not fail, let's pray that his word will do its work. Um, his humility, his humble confession. I mean, you read Daniel 1 to 6, and Daniel is a superhero, right? He's blameless, does everything right. Actually, here he is confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Before God, he's still a sinner, and that's how he comes to God. He doesn't make demands. He, he is humble. And we should never forget, even though we're righteous in Christ, we're, we're still sinners, and that's how we should come to God. And hence, he prays for God's sake, not ours. He doesn't say because of us. He says, look, for your sake, Lord... Your people are away from your city. It makes you look like nothing. For your sake, please restore us. It's all God-centered. Prayer here is God-centered. And that's good for us to be challenged by. But, like I said, that's, they're, they're helpful lessons. But that's not the, the thing. The question is, what is his answer about? Because Daniel gets an answer. 
And an angel shows up. I wish that happened every time I prayed, that an angel comes and just tells me the answer. I'd love that. Now, um, but yeah, the angel says, Daniel, God loves you. I've come to give you understanding. But then we get this very enigmatic, weird few verses um, about the 77s. Uh, you almost wonder, did, did it really give understanding or confusing? Uh, lots of interpretations about this. Again, uh, I think what I will teach is, to me, the most convincing. Again, if you want to talk about it, please do. But what is the impression you get from 24 to 27? He's been praying for the end of the exile, and I think the message is, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. I mean, 24, in many ways, sounds great. This is what we want, right? Uh, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place, uh, an end to sin, righteousness, the fulfillment of all God's prophets, prophecies, uh, a new holy place. That's what he wants. But when is that? After 77s. Now, I think it's, it's, it's symbolic, but 77 sounds like a lot, isn't it? 70 times 7 is 490. Uh, is that days or is it years? It's sometimes used for a period of seven years. And given some of the things it mentions, that that's not 70 weeks. So I think he would read this as 500 years or so, give or take. Symbolic, but 500 years. In Hebrew, it sounds like. 70 squares, just a lot. But that's, that's not what he wants to hear, right? He wants to go home, and God talks about 500 years. That's a shock. Can we go home? All right, 500 years. What kind of 500 years? Well, no, did you notice it's 70 Sevens. Seventy is quite a significant number in the passage, isn't it? What was the seventy about? It was the seventy years in Babylon. Seventy is exile. So seventy times seven years is like a, an even bigger, greater exile. That is what God is saying. It's going to be fulfilled after an even longer exile. Now, God doesn't say no. It's not that there's nothing, because then it goes on in this uh, that, uh, end of verse 25 about Jerusalem, uh, the, the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And it will be rebuilt. Uh, so, so that, yes, they can go home. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. But, end of verse 25, in times of trouble, there will still be trouble. And if you read on, uh, someone will come and destroy the city again. And there will be wars and desolation. They will go back to Jerusalem, but life will not necessarily be better. There will still be a troubled time. The city will be destroyed again. Wars and desolations. That is when you kind of zoom out 
uh, don't look too much at the details. What is the impression? You can go home, but there will still be trouble. The real thing, 500 years, or give or take. It's not over yet. A greater, longer exile. I think Daniel would be gutted, right? That's what we say in England. I mean, he's in his 80s now. He came to Babylon, well, from, he was plucked out of Revelation Warriors as a teenager. And he's been there for 70 years, praying, reading his Bible, being faithful. He's now in his 80s. He wants to go home. And God says, 500 years. And some people, they, they think, oh, if you put the numbers like this, then it exactly predicts Jesus. I think it's more symbolic. But, but even then, I don't think Daniel would get his calendar out. Yes, 500 years and Jesus will come. He's just got it, right? Oh, no, another 500 years. Again, does God change his promise? Is God being dishonest? I don't think so. I think this is a kind of mountaintop moment. Sometimes you, you, you go hiking, you climb a mountain, and you go, uh, you think you've reached the top. And then, uh, whoops. Where is it? There we are. <laughs> you think you've reached the top, but there's another peak behind it. You thought you've reached the top, but actually it's, it's more complex than that. That is, I think, what's going on. Sometimes God makes a few promises, and you think they all come in one go. Actually, they're a bit spaced out. And uh, yeah, they can go home. That's what God promised. He keeps that promise. But the real thing, and the fulfillment of all prophecy and end to sin, everything, that will come later. And so, yeah, um, God is managing their expectations. He's telling them, telling Daniel, look, Daniel, yes, you can go home, but this is not it yet. And so when you're back and things are still hard, nothing's gone wrong. This is just not it yet. Now, I'd love to spend more time on some of the other details. I don't have the time. Come and ask me if you wonder about the 7-7s and the 62-7s and stuff. The thing is, why? Why doesn't he just do it all in one go? Why are they still in exile, even though they can go back? And the thing is, because sin needs to be dealt with. Sin needs to be dealt with. Because one thing you've heard in this whole chapter, sin. Daniel's prayer is all about sin. He knows the issue. And the fulfillment, eh, what is the, the thing about after 500 years? An end to sin, finished transgression, atone for wickedness. Babylon is dealt with now, but sin isn't dealt with yet. At this second exile, it's, it's spiritual rather than physical. It's not about what place you live. This is about sin. And sin is just a much bigger problem. 70 years time out doesn't deal with sin. And Babylon wasn't, was never the real problem. Sin is the real problem. And God wants to teach them, look, there's more going on. It's not just about where you live. It's not just if you go to Jerusalem, it will be fine. The real problem is sin. Sin needs to be dealt with, and that's why you're still in exile. That's why, even though you're back in Jerusalem, you will still have trouble. We're still not there yet. 
I think this is helpful for us as Christians because you wonder how does this apply to us. I think for them this was really useful eh? to be told, okay, this is not it yet. But of course, we're now 2,500 years later. Jesus has come. How should we see this? Can we take this and just apply it to ourselves? Well, yeah, Jesus did do a lot when he came, right? Jesus came to deal with sin and you read the Gospels and they link Jesus with the return from exile. What did he do? He died on the cross and that brought forgiveness, complete forgiveness. Atoning for wickedness has been completely done. And he's given the spirit, right? He's changed our hearts so that deep inside we, we love God. And yet the New Testament at the same time is another mountaintop moment because Jesus goes away again. And it's only when he comes back that he will completely remove sin. Right now we're in a bit of an overlap. And this, is, this is helpful to know. And you read Daniel and you expect this. You expect a kind of an old age and then buff and a new age. That's what we expect. The thing is, when Jesus comes, yet yeah, a new age starts, but the old age is still there. It's only when Jesus comes back that it will be fully dealt with. So we have some things now. We have the Spirit. Uh, we know God in a, in a much deeper way than they could ever do in the Old Testament. And where the Spirit is, it, it's, it's great. I hope church it doesn't feel like exile. I hope church, being with God's Spirit-filled people, is fantastic. But we live in a world where there is still sin, and so the New Testament still calls us as exiles. We are still in exile because there is still a world of sin that we live in. And the thing is, I mean, why doesn't God just deal with sin? Doesn't he, why can't he just remove it? Well, sin is just impossible to deal with. I mean, we can't deal with sin, right? Try, why don't you try, from now until the next service, next week, try not to sin. Try not to think or do or say anything unkind. You can't do it. We still struggle with sin. Yes, we have the Spirit, we are growing in holiness, but there's still sin inside us. We'll never be perfect. But also, okay, God can deal with it, right? But, but think about how difficult it is to deal with sin. What does God have to do to deal with sin? I mean, sin is, of course, you read this prayer, and, and sin is serious because it's such an offense to God, right? To, to rebel against the one who made you and gave you everything. But in terms of dealing with it, what does God need to deal, how, need to do? First of all, God's Son needs to die, right? How does God forgive us? Well, God the Son has to come down to earth, become a man, die on a cross, take all the wrath and... That's quite a big thing. Sin is not straightforward to deal with, right? And, and then the sin inside us, the power of sin. How does God deal with that? Well, the Holy Spirit has to come and live inside you. That is how serious sin is. God himself has to come and live inside you and fight against sin. That is how big of a deal sin is, how, how deeply it runs inside us. And, and, and then the last bits of sin. What is needed to get rid of the last bits of sin in the world, in us? Well, it's when I die and get a resurrection body. That is when I will be fully free from sin. 
I need to die and rise, and this world needs to be destroyed and recreated. That is when sin will be fully gone. That is how serious sin is. The death of God's Son, God coming to live inside us, and then death and resurrection. That is what you need to get rid of sin. Sin is just no quick fix. It's no easy solution. Sin runs so deep in the world, in us. Sin can't be dealt with. It's just impossible in this life. So what do you get? Or prepare to wait? There's no easy solution. Just like Daniel was told, yeah, you can go back, but there's still sin. You need to wait longer. We need to wait longer. There's, there's no easy solution. We can't just change our circumstances. Think, okay, I'll go from Babylon to Jerusalem. Then things will be better. Sin requires so much to deal with it. Money doesn't solve it. Education doesn't solve it. Only death and resurrection. So there's no easy solution. Prepare to wait. I mean, let's take an example. Marriage. Um, Or if you're single, think other relationships with people. How can you get to perfect marriage? I guess most of us know in marriage, well, you, you tend to hurt each other. You tend to sin against each other. Things go wrong. We annoy each other. That's, that's life, because you're two sinners. And we often think, well, my spouse is the problem. If I just get rid of my spouse and get a new spouse, surely that will make life better. I don't think that. But, <laughs> but this passage tells us You've misunderstood the problem. That is thinking Jerusalem is better than Babylon. Actually, the problem is sin. Your new spouse will still be sinful. And you will still be sinful. That doesn't solve anything. You will still have problems. And and asking, okay, look God, can you just get rid of sin? Can you just make our life, make our marriage perfect? That's a big ask, right? Because you say, okay, I need to die, my spouse needs to die, and we both need to be raised from the dead. God's not going to do that. Now, I'm not saying it's hopeless, because the new age has started, and we have the Spirit. I mean, if you're both Christians, and you both have the Spirit, and you both understand the Gospel, you know about repentance and forgiveness, actually, every Christian marriage, I believe, can work. And if you're here and you have marriage problems, uh, yeah, do come and talk. Because yeah, but with God's help, this can be solved. But it will never be perfect. A trouble-free, perfect marriage is just not realistic. Uh, same for your job. Maybe your colleagues make life difficult. And you think, if I just change my job, that would make life easier. They will still be sinful. The only way for you to have no problems with your colleagues is if they would all become Christians and all die and all be raised from the dead. That's not going to happen. Right? Sin can't be dealt with. Prepare to wait. There is no easy solution. And, and, and yeah, I think that last point shows why God can't deal with sin. When, When do people need to respond to the gospel before they die? How does God deal with sin? Well, by death and resurrection. So if God deals with sin now, people have no more chance to respond to the gospel. This is the time for the gospel to go out, and so God can't deal with sin yet because he still wants to save more people.
But yeah, that's the thing. Be prepared to wait. There is no easy solution. I think that's how we should apply this passage, which is, of course, it's bleak, but also it should make us humble. It's due to sin, and, and, and I mean, think about it. Whose fault is it that we've sinned? It's our fault, right? It's not God's fault. So next time life is hard, next time your sin gets you into trouble, it's our fault. doesn't mean that your particular difficulty is because of your individual sin, but all people have sinned, and that's why this world is broken. It should make you so humble. And yeah, sin is just so serious. It's such a problem, and, and it's our fault. It should make you so humble. It, it should make us patient, right? We can't solve it. We've brought the problem. We need to wait on God. And then, yeah, apart from being humble, pray, isn't it? That is, if we can't do it, and God has promised to do it, because he has promised it in verse 24. And in Jesus, he has brought forgiveness, and Jesus has promised to come back. Let's pray. Let's plead that promise. Let's pray your kingdom come. Lord, we are helpless in the face of sin, but Jesus one day will do it. Let's pray. Eagerly, intensely pray for God's kingdom. Now, I thought this was a good time for us to, in a moment, say a confession. Uh, Why don't we spend a minute and just reflect on sin, on what we've done, and on how serious that is, what a problem that is. And then let's say the confession together, and, and, and then think again about Jesus. But let me give you a minute to reflect Let's look up there and let's, with convicted hearts, say these words together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, words, and deeds by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.